in verse 19 for our passage today. Acts chapter 9, verse, uh, well, verse 19b, actually. New paragraph starts, uh, second half of verse 19. So, Acts 9, 19b, for some days he, that Saul, uh, was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed. And they said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And he has, has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? We learned last week that Saul was on his way to arrest more and persecute the church. But Jesus miraculously appeared to him on the road to Damascus and he was converted and he's just now people are getting uh, the news verse 22 but Saul increased all the more in strength and he confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ when many days had passed the Jews plotted to kill him but their plot became known to Saul they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him. And brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him. And how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and were being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The church, it multiplied. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. We are in the midst of a study in the book of Acts uh, and the focus of the book is not hard uh, to notice, it's an amazing historical book, historical study of the church as it is birthed and as it grows after Jesus was crucified and rose and ascended. And our passage this morning, chapter 9, is focused on the character of Saul. And as we all know, he later takes on the name of Paul. So if you don't mind, because I'll forget anyway, I'm just going to call him Paul now. But you know who I'm talking about, okay? So it's focused on Paul. He's the main character. Um, yet, there are two minor characters interwoven in the story. Last week... We saw the courage and the obedience of Ananias, uh, the first Christian to minister to Paul, to welcome him to the church, to the family, the family that Paul had previously persecuted. And in today's verses, uh, we're going to see another minor character who plays a significant role. 
In fact, there's only one line about him in the scene. And I'm talking about the man called Barnabas. In each of our lives, we have people like Barnabas in our past or in our present. You see, what I like to refer to Barnabas is as he's a carpenter. He's a carpenter because he builds people up. Barnabas, throughout the book of Acts, is an encourager. He's a carpenter. He gives us the courage to face life. Back in my fifth grade year, I had a teacher named Mrs. Piles. Mrs. Piles was the kind of teacher that made me joyful to go to school. Did you ever have a teacher like that? Mrs. Piles, I loved her and I think she loved me. And, uh, and, and back in the fifth grade, I was not planning on being a college professor. I was planning on becoming a comic book writer. Didn't, didn't pan out. But, but I, I, and I already had a character in my, in my head named Super Duck. I, know, I should have gone with it. And, and I, I created this series in the fifth grade called The Adventures of Super Duck. And I would write up episodes about Super Duck. And when I would write up an episode, I would give it to Mrs. Piles. And she would read it and she would tell me how great it was. She even passed it to other teachers and even the lunch lady who would read it. And when I went to lunch, oh, Scott, I saw your latest episode. It's so good. Mrs. She even had me get up front and read it in front of my fellow students. Looking back, that wasn't a great idea. (laughs) But Mrs. Piles loved me. She was a Barnabas in my life. Do you see the Barnabases in your past? Maybe even in your present? The faces, the voices of people who were carpenters who gave you the courage to face life? See, those are great memories, but unfortunately, there's a flip side to carpenters. There are the people I like to call the termites of life. Yeah, I heard the groan. They're the people who don't build us up. They tear us down. (laughs) They're not the encouragers. They're the discouragers. They don't give us courage to face life. They take away the courage to face life. Fifth grade, I had Mrs. Piles. Sixth grade, I had Mrs. G. I won't use her name. I think she's dead, but I'm still not going to use her name. Well, she was 90 when I had her in 1972, so I know she's dead. But anyway, I'm sorry. I I shouldn't say That's not very good. Don't talk about your teachers like that. Uh, Mrs. G. If Mrs. Piles made me love to go to school, Mrs. G made me hate to go to school. She was the kind of sixth grade teacher that hated sixth graders. You ever have that kind of teacher? And I, st- and I believe I was her last class before retirement. Mm-hmm. Mrs. G, uh, and I am 60 years old. I'm going to tell you a story from when I was 12 years old, and I remember it like it was yesterday. Okay? I was up at the board, and we had blackboards, not fancy whiteboards back then. And, and, and we were writing sentences. And so I was up there minding my own business, 
writing my sentence. And as I was writing, I heard a voice in the back go, Mr. Dixon. And I looked in the back and it was Mrs. G. Now, I got to go to a little background. Uh, when you learn, that, this is something they don't teach anymore. It's terrible. Cursive. You guys know what cursive writing is? They teach you how to write cursive. And so when you learn how to write cursive, you learn how to write your letters a certain way. So like, so for the letter A, I'm going to use dad. So the letter A, you go D, A, like that, D. Well, I don't know why, but I had my own style of cursive writing. Okay. And so I wrote A's like this, D, A, D. Pretty cool, huh? At least I thought so at 12. And so she goes, Mr. Dixon, would you write the word dad again? Okay. Mr. Dixon. Yes, Mrs. G. Where did you learn to write the letter A? I know third graders who write better than that. How foolish. 40 years ago, I remember. How foolish. Here was a sixth grade boy up in front of all his sixth grade friends being compared in an unfavorable way to a third grader. There are termites in our past. The people who take away courage. Can you see those? How come they're always teachers? I don't know. Why am I a teacher today? I don't know. <laughs> Why do I still have terrible penmanship? I know. Uh, it's trauma. Yeah. All the psychologists can see me afterwards and we'll talk. Um, what kind of person are you? I really don't care what you have. Oh, I do care, but I'm not talking about your past now. I'm asking about your present. If, if I were to talk to your friends, uh, would they say you're a carpenter? Or would they admit you're a termite? If I were to talk to your workmates, what would they say? What if I talked to your spouse? Would they say you're an encourager? What if I talked to your kids? Don't turn around and look at your parents. Uh, what would they say? You know, the Bible really doesn't give us an option. Do you know that? We are called to be encouragers. Even though we live in a world full of termites. And here's the question though. How? Let's admit it. I mean, I'll admit it. I don't know if you will. I struggle being an encourager. My first inclination is to tear down. And I know I'm supposed to be better than that. But how? How am I supposed to be an encourager? That's what we're going to talk about today. When I like to, I love to learn reading biographies. I just have always liked biographies. I, I'm interested in the person, but I'm also interested in how they deal with the circumstances of their life. So if you want to learn how to stand for your convictions when everybody else says to give in, you read about Abraham Lincoln. Right? If you want to learn how to stand for your, uh, help 
lead people in trying circumstances, you, you read about Winston Churchill. If you want to learn about how to hit home runs from both sides of the plate, you learn and read about Mickey Mantle, which most of you don't know about, but he's a, I mean, ask your grandfather. If you want to know how to be a carpenter in the sea of termites, you read about the person named Barnabas. What was Barnabas's nickname? Remember? Son of encouragement. In fact, in Acts chapter 4, that tells us that Joseph, also called by the name, the apostles called by Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And so today, just as a little different tact, instead of walking through the passage, I just want to pick out the person of Barnabas and do a character study. Because Barnabas He's not only here in this passage, he's throughout the book of Acts. By looking at his life, we will learn four characteristics of an encouraging person. Four ways to learn how to build people up. Okay? Four characteristics of how to be an encouraging person. Number one, in order to be an encouraging person, we need to have a heart after God's own heart. Now I'm going to as I, as I mentioned, I am a teacher. I like to use boards and I don't like, that's what I don't like about preaching. I don't have a board. So I asked for one today. So uh, remember I told you I was going to be a, uh, you know, an editor or a writer of comic books. So don't try to do what I do with my drawings up here. I'm a little advanced. Okay. So this, <coughs> that's an encouraging person right there. Okay. So the first thing you need to be an encouraging person is a heart after God's own heart. If we're going to be productive carpenters, we need to have lives that are in close contact with the architect. When you read biographies, one of the things uh, that you should look out for, this is a little tip, is that the writer, the biographer, talking about the person will often at some place in the book usually towards the beginning will give you a one line synopsis of that person kind of a thesis statement um, oh I, oh Barnabas it's a Barnabas right there in person you, you know if I'd have been smart I'd have planned that but I didn't what a guy thank you just you don't have to say anything you just Thank you. Ah, thank you, Caleb. Um, he did get, make me lose my train of thought, but other than that, uh, oh. Yeah. They give you a synopsis. Okay, this is what makes the person tick. And actually, Luke does that in the book of Acts. In fact, skip ahead to Acts chapter 11. We'll get there eventually. But Acts chapter 11, we see another scene with Barnabas. Uh, verse 21. Acts 11. Verse 21 reads, and the hand of the Lord was with them. <coughs> Excuse me. As the church of Antioch which is growing. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report of this growth in the church of Antioch it, 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 um, came to the ears of, of the church in Jerusalem. And what did they do? They sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Now, here's Luke's comment. For he, Barnabas, 
was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Encouraging people have hearts close to God. You see, by virtue of our sin nature, we are discouragers. We were born and we grow up as people with a negative bent toward ourselves and towards others. In fact, you know, our story with Barnabas and Paul is not the first time that Barnabas encourages someone. If you go back to chapter 4, I didn't tell you, be ready to move today because we're going to go look a little survey here in the book of Acts. Back, we've already covered this, in chapter 4, in verse, uh, let's see, 33, we read this about Barnabas. And with great power, the apostles were giving... 433, their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord and a great grace was upon them. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of the lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as they had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which also means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. What did he do? Verse 37, Barnabas sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Remember what Jesus said about measurements of our hearts? Where are our hearts? That's where you'll find your treasure. Or the way he said it in Matthew 6, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Barnabas, they lived in an agrarian society. Land was everything to them. But Barnabas, like others in the church, saw a need and he didn't think twice. He sold a field and he gave away the proceeds to help his brothers and sisters in need. That's how we know we had a heart close to God. His treasure was in others, was in serving others, not himself. Can I just uh, suggest that what you have to your right, outside that wall, is a monument to Barnabas. That it's a, it's a monument of encouragement to us at UBC. That people have come and are coming from all over the country, giving their time, giving their money to stay and to work, and giving their effort to give to us in Beaver Creek, Ohio. Is that not a monument of people whose hearts are close to God? Right? Where your treasure is, that's where your heart. And if you're going to be an encourager, you have to have a heart that's close to God. Number two, in order to be an encouraging person, we need to have, remember, don't try this at home. We need to have eyes that see the potential in people. We need to have, I know, I forgot the pupils. There you go. Okay, you feel better now? Okay. We need to have eyes that see potential in people. Hmm. Okay, skip ahead to Acts 15. I know, and I'm not supposed to do this in preaching school, but I'm moving all around today. Acts 15. Because Barnabas shows up a number of places in the book of Acts. Acts 15 in verse 36. Acts 15. In verse 36, and after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, 
Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, not to jump too far ahead, but Paul and Barnabas will take a missionary journey together, sent out from the church of Antioch. We call that the, this is complicated, first missionary journey. Then they come back and they recuperate. And now here in chapter 15, Paul says, let's go and take a second trip. That's called the second missionary journey. And let's go visit the churches and the brothers and the sisters and see how they're doing. All right. Verse 37. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul... Verse 38, thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to end the work. In other words, okay, when they took off in that first journey, Paul and Barnabas, they took a third guy to train him, to build him up, right? To disciple, a guy named John Mark. John Mark freaked out. He, he, I don't know what happened. We don't know what happened, but he left in Pamphylia. And so the second trip... Barnabas wants to take him along. Paul says, I don't think so. Verse 38. But Paul thought best, already swore that, verse 39. And there arose, this is is crazy to me, right? These are pillars in the early church, okay? You would think they would just be so holy and godly, never have a problem. Huh? Not so. Verse 39. And there arose a sharp disagreement. In other words, they had words. So that they separated from each other. The first church split. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed. Do you see what just happened? Paul and Barnabas went their separate ways. Now we'll talk more about that when we get to the passage in 2024. But right now, for today, I just want to say Barnabas thought so much of this young man who had freaked out earlier that he departed and separated from his buddy Paul. You see, Barnabas saw something in John Mark that Paul didn't. He had eyes that saw potential. One of my favorite professors in seminary was a guy by the name of Howard Hendricks. And he was well-beloved down in Dallas. And he told a story. He grew up in a non-Christian home in Philadelphia, in the tough part of town. And and he actually became a Christian by going to a Sunday school class. But before that, he was uh, a very, let's say, hellion as a kid. All right? Every every teacher hated him. He, He didn't like school. And so he talked about his first day of sixth grade where he uh, had a new teacher. And he said, I was so excited to show her who I was and what was up. I, I, I was just ready to go and I was just gonna go in my old ways and, and I was squirming to get going. And that first day she came up to me and she pointed at me and she goes, Howie Hendricks, I've heard a lot about you and I don't believe a word of it. Howard Hendricks says that he spent that whole sixth grade year trying to prove her right. Eyes. To see beyond the surface. To see what people are capable of. That's what Barnabas saw in John Mark. Is there a person right now in your life 
that everyone else has given up on. Again, it requires a change start first because it's not natural, right? Our first reactions is to judge, to label, to put people into camps, to make assumptions, to not even give people a chance. But with a changed heart full of the Holy Spirit, we start to see what God can do through people. Who would have thought that this John Mark that caused such a problem between Barnabas and Paul would later become the second author of the New Testament and pen the book of Mark? Never underestimate what encouragers can do. Eyes that see potential. Uh, Number three, in order to be an encouraging person, we have to have ears. Ears. Is that very encouraging to laugh at my drawing? Ears that listen to other people's stories. Ears that listen. Carpenters listen. They listen through silence through an unwavering gaze and through thoughtful questions. And and that's what's going on in our passage today. Um, Last week you heard about the unexpected, you read about the unexpected conversion of Paul. How God's grace turns enemies of the family into members of his family. And after that, we have two parallel episodes. We have Paul going to Damascus, this newly converted Christian, And then going to Jerusalem, he preaches boldly the word, Jesus as the Messiah. He faces opposition, and then he has to escape. But something unique happens in Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem, as we've learned, is the center of the church. It's where everything... um, All the decisions are made. All the big shots live there. The church leadership. And, And as you might expect, Paul gets there and he wants to join up with the leadership. He wants, to, he wants to find, you know, talk to them, become one of, the, one of them. And as we might expect, they were afraid of him. And it makes sense. He was an arch persecutor of the church. Might not a strategy be to act like you're one of us and then turn? I mean, every single spy novel known to man, that's one of the prime plots. Double agents, triple agents. They didn't want to believe in Paul. By the way, don't don't miss this. Even the apostles, the leaders, are normal guys with real human fears. Only one guy in Jerusalem gave Paul a hearing. Gave him the time of day. Why? Because Barnabas stopped to listen to what had happened. He knew his story, his changed life. And Barnabas believed him. The other leaders were too distracted. They were too busy with their own fears. They were catastrophizing what could be happening and what could, they were just unnerved and to put it bluntly, they would not shut up and listen. There's a reason God gave us one mouth and two ears. Barnabas was the encourager Paul needed because Barnabas took the time and the effort and the risk to stop and listen. The best listeners are the most undistracted, laser-focused people. 
You ever been in a conversation with a really good listener? The difference is palpable. They're invested in you. They want to know about you. The best listeners are the most undistracted because the best listeners care about the person sitting on the other side of the table. I so appreciated Lee's prayer and comments earlier in the service. Amidst uh, what's happened the last couple days, there's been a lot of shouting, a lot of noise from all sides. And I just want to encourage us <laughs> uh, to stop and listen. To listen, to follow Barnabas's lead. You see, as Lee mentioned, real lives are affected by this ruling. Hurting people will want to know if we care about them, not about the politics. We need to show that Jesus' love extends to hurting moms just as much as it extends to babies in the womb. It's loud right now. Very, very loud. Don't forget to listen. Be a Barnabas. Number four. In order to be an encouraging person, you're going to laugh at this one. We need a tongue that speaks life words, not death words. We need a tongue that speaks life words, not death words. In the Proverbs 18, Solomon writes, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Did your mother ever teach you this little ditty? Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words can never kill you. Did your mother teach you that? Your mother lied. She did. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words can kill your soul. Mm. Words are like a knife. In the hands of a surgeon, they can give life, but in the hands of an enemy, they can destroy. Barnabas always had the right thing to say to the right people at the right time. If you go over back to verse, it'll be up on the screen, you don't need to turn. But back to chapter 11, when they had sent him, uh, the, the, the apostles from Jerusalem had sent him uh, to Antioch. Verse 23, it says, when he came, when Barnabas got to Antioch, he saw the grace of God, he was glad. And what did he do? He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. And what does he do in our passage um, in, ver, in verse, oh, now I've lost it. Oh, verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord. Barnabas used his words to make a difference. And it took some chutzpah. It took some aggressive courage for him to do that. To speak up in the midst there in Jerusalem of the disciples' meltdown at the arrival of Paul. Their Slack channel was going crazy. 
And we've all experienced the momentum of echo chambers, especially when they're alarmist and pessimistic and negative. Barnabas had the energy. He had the assertiveness. He had the heart to speak life words into that moment, to encourage. We all know how much easier it is to be negative than positive in our attitudes, let alone our speech. Who knew at this point of the story in chapter 9 what Saul turned Paul was going to do? We have the advantage of hindsight. We can look back and see what Paul would become. But in chapter 9, nobody knew. Nobody. And it was only Barnabas that stuck, stuck his neck out and spoke words of encouragement. Never underestimate the power of a well-chosen encouraging word. You know, I told you about my fifth grade teacher and my sixth grade teacher. I would be remiss if I didn't say something about my fourth grade teacher. You were wondering about that, I know. And actually, it's not my fourth grade teacher. It's my fourth grade art teacher. Now, I lived back in the day. Yeah, I still live, but, but I, I went to school back in the day where, where the art teacher would come once a week to your classroom. She would push a little cart and she would visit just like the music teacher. And I, art teacher, I don't know what yours was like. My fourth grade art teacher was very enthusiastic. And so she would come once a week ready for us as fourth graders to create the masterpieces that she knew we could create. As you can tell, I have no skills. And I hated art class. I loved recess. I hated art class. And I can remember this one week, she came in and she started passing out the paper and we took our crayons out from our desk. And she said, this week's class, I got some really exciting news. We're going to have an art contest in the whole school. And every classroom is going to have a first, second, and third place winner for the best drawings. We're going to have some junior hires from up above in the school. They're going to come down and they're going to judge. And we had to put them on the wall outside, right? And we're going to judge the best. And and so she, and my, my, my friend Janet Kimball, she started creating her, her tribute to Van Gogh in the early 20th century. And my, my friend Brian Clark, he started making a, a replica of Michelangelo's David. And I just sat there with a blank sheet of paper. I, I can't draw. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. This overly enthusiastic art teacher started walking up and down the roads. And she got to me. She goes, oh, Scott, what are you going to draw? And I gave her the answer of all perturbed fourth grade boys. I don't know. Oh, Scott, come on. There's got to be something you'd want to draw. I said, I don't know. I can't draw. Scott, she said, I remember two weeks ago, you drew that beautiful tree. You had the branches branching out into the sky. You even had a bird on the... I, I remember that. You, I know you can do it. So I like... I like airplanes. That's it. Little did I know I would be preaching at a church full of aeronautical engineers someday. But I loved airplanes. Right? And so she says, Scott, and so I started drawing my airplane. And I want you to know that you are now looking at Mrs. Olsh's fourth grade 1972 third place winner. Thank you. Never underestimate the power of an encouraging word. UBC, we live 
in a time of turmoil. Much like the time in Jerusalem when the apostles had no clue what Saul was up to. But there was an encourager who stood up, who had a heart that was close to God, who had eyes that saw potential, who had ears that listened, and had a tongue that spoke life words. We know what happened. In fact, Luke tells us what happened in verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit multiplied. In the midst of that turmoil, Luke tells us the church had peace. Not necessarily because of the Peters with their sermons and their miracles or even the Pauls with their conversions and their sermons. I believe the church had peace because of people like Ananias and Barnabas. That's something we can all be. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the, the, the minor characters of Scripture. And I use minor loosely. These people who show up in the early days of your church, of which we are still a part of, who through their love and their presence and their listening and their words encourage your church, brought peace to your church. And we are challenged that in 2022, when our church is in turmoil, our, our world is in turmoil, that you still use Barnabas's to bring peace. Lord, Spirit of God, enable us to be carpenters in a world full of termites. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.